Welcome to the TrueSight Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen. Joining me today, Team Liquid Academy head coach and caster, Jake Spawn Tiberi. How are you doing today, Spawn? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, had a good night's sleep. It's one of those things, it's a coin flip at the moment. Uh, I'm actually, when it's busy, I sleep like a baby. As soon as like I've got too much free time on my hands, like... Who knows? Sometimes I lie down and it just never happens. So nah, last night I uh, flipped the coin and I came up trumps. We won that smart steal. So uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Tim. <laughs> nice. Good to have you on. We're recording a little bit earlier than normal. So it's very good that you had uh, had a good sleep. And we'll uh, we'll jump into an exciting discussion here. I think there are a lot of things people would love to hear about from you. And we'll, we'll cover some of those topics. But, uh, you know, I, I think I'd love to, to kind of start with maybe people who aren't as familiar with kind of your story of how you've landed coaching with Team Liquid Academy, what you've done before then, I'm sure most people are fairly familiar, but for the few of those out there who don't know much about your career, I'd love to hear a little bit about the transition because you were you were coaching in the LPL, or the, the, sorry, the OPL most recently, uh, and then you were kind of part of that group that, that heard that the league was being shut down and that you kind of had to scramble, okay, what do we do now, right? What was that like and how did you end up at the end of that process uh, coming to be to, with Team Liquid Academy? Yeah, I mean, it was a really interesting process. And to kind of understand the recent process, you kind of have to understand where I came from, like, initially, right? So in 2012 or 2011, I discovered this game called League of Legends, and I started playing it uh, when I was waiting for my, like, WoW guilds to actually get their act together so we could actually raid, um, because I was a really big raider. Um, so then throughout that time, you know, I'm just finishing up high school when I was uh, raiding in WoW, and then... You know, I in early stages university when I start playing League of Legends. Um, what actually happens from there is I get like a little bit good at the game, but not great. Like, you know, I'm sitting like hard stuck diamond areas, uh, but I've got out of university. I start my finance job and I just like kind of stop playing the game. Uh, and I was on like, you know, back then you didn't have like pro oceanic teams, but like we definitely weren't a top eight team, but we're like kind of the team that like, you know, when it was round of 16, we would make some of the round of 16s. A guy called Atlas reaches out and says, hey, you kind of suck as a player, which was true. Uh, do you want to shoutcast? And I was like, okay, cool. This, this sounds like a cool opportunity. So Atlas and I shoutcast a couple of tournaments together, and we start doing the Oceanic Circuit in 2014. Um, and after like the first or second tournament we do, a guy called Jat reaches out, um, and he says, hey, like we've, we've seen some of your shoutcasting work. Uh, we want to bring you to North America for the North America uh, promotion relegation tournament because we're going to be really busy prepping for worlds um so i get on a plane and i come over and i meet this guy called jet and the rest of the riot team uh and we we get along like a house on fire and that was 2014 when i knew jet right so since then i've had my i've worked for riot i've had my own esports organization order which i worked on coach uh for two different organizations as well and i've obviously been a commentator and done a lot of international work but I've still kept in contact with everyone in North America. And last year, there was an opportunity to go to uh, Europe, which I was contemplating, um, that kind of fell through at the last moment, but I was ready to pack up and leave and go to the LEC. Um, and then this year, even before the OPL was done, like uh, I was like, being a freelancer sucks, man. Like I've got two kids now, or a kid and another kid on the way at this point. I've got a fiance, I've got a house. And like every single year, at the same time, I'm worried the OPL is going to fall over. I'm worried that like my team isn't going to be able to renew sponsors or whatever. Um, and it's like, I was just getting really, really stressful. Um, so I'd already had a conversation previously with Steve uh, throughout the year before they hired Jack to potentially go for that position. Uh, and then when Jack got that role, 
he was like, well, I think Spawn's someone that I would like to have on my staff. Um, so we were talking about it before the OPL even fell over. Then the OPL fell over. Uh, and I had already had a contract in my hand, uh, and like I'm sitting there evaluating everything, and I'm talking to Jenna about it, and she's like, okay, let's weigh up your options. You've got this really great gig at Team Liquid, or you have the OPL. And then it was like, well, no, we don't. <laughs> like, we just have this really great gig at Team Liquid. Um, and so, yeah, obviously there were things I could have done. I could have gone back into financial services industry, or I could have gone back to university and studied. But um, yeah, I decided that you know it was time to take the plunge into North American League of Legends. And uh, honestly, I'm really happy that we gave it a shot. So you came into Team Liquid. You're, you're coaching the academy team. But along with you came a lot of other people from the Oceanic scene uh, because there was this rule change that uh, granted resident, North American residency to, to, to players from that scene. You know, and I, I think some of that had started, you know, a year ago already. There was, a, there was already a flood of, of certain Oceanic players in, you know, Fudge and King and, and others came over. Um, but you know, there's now a whole secondary wave. Uh, what do you feel about kind of that that group of players that have come over? How how much of an impact is that group having on the kind of the level of play, especially at the academy level where a lot of them landed? I mean, I think it's good and bad, uh, to be honest. Like, and a lot of my answers will be like this, right? Hmm. I'm a pretty honest person. Uh, I think that the first wave of oceanic players came, uh, where you took King, Fudge. Triple, Ryoma, FBI lost that wave. Mm -hmm. They were all top one or two in their role. Um, there's just no other way to say it. Like North America at that time is taking the best of the best of oceanic talent. Um, this time around, the floodgates opened uh, for a host of different reasons, right? You know, previous success of other players um, plays a big role in it. Um, and then the fact that they're no longer imports, so they don't have to be like the, maybe the top 1% of the league. You know, maybe they can fall into just the top half of the league or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think that a lot of them have done that. And if you watch Academy, like the mid lane pool, especially, I would say like what I've learned from the Oceanic players coming over is that the North American Academy mid lane pool hasn't been the strongest role over here. Because like, in my opinion, Ryoma, Triple and Harry are probably three of the better mid laners. And I think Pretty is also a really great mid laner, also not North American talent. So maybe it's a role that needs to be propped up a little bit, which is what imports are for. Um, but then other positions haven't done so well. Um, and, you know, you can only, you, you look at top lane and you have a look at, you know, how Chippies, Thea and Topoon are doing comparatively to some of the North American top laners. And you say, well, North Americans have obviously got the top lane, like Lockdown Pat, like uh, some of the uh, amateur and academy top laners, especially the domestic ones are kind of like beaten up on those guys pretty consistently. So I think it's a mixed bag, to be honest, Tim. Like, uh, I think that there is a lot of positives and success stories. Some of the guys are struggling, but... You know, that was always going to happen. You, you, you miss 100% of shots you don't take. And I think that overall, I'm really happy that owners took a leap of faith to bring over a promising group of kids because otherwise they would they would be really struggling right now in those. Yeah, and, and so for the sake of those players, you know, obviously coming here, I mean, if nothing else, it's it's a, it's a, a chance for those Oceanic players to kind of break through it and reach another level in their career. It's also a, a great life experience, I'm sure, right? Like even if they only come here and, and stick it out for a year and then end up going back home, I don't think in most cases they're going to regret that. I think uh, hopefully it's Absolutely hopefully not, not right? Uh, but it's also for, for the North American side of things, having these players come in, is an opportunity to for the North American players to have to prove themselves and say, no, I, I want to actually show that I am better than this guy and that I can have that spot, that I can exceed um, what they're bringing to the table. And, and hopefully it levels everybody up, uh, right? And, and I think that's one of the things people look at with this and say, if you just 
inject another 10, 15, 20%, you know, of the player base into the scene. Now everybody has to, you know, there's that much more competition to to rise up and get uh, to the next level of, of, of what's happening at the academy level, especially. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens with that. I think on, on your own team, there's an interesting mix of some of that. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the Oceanic players that, that specifically came into your team, Team Liquid Academy. You have Ayla, you have Harry. These, these are guys who weren't at Worlds, uh, and so they, they probably weren't on the radar of a lot of North American fans. But I know, especially like with Ayla, I heard his name a lot in the offseason, a lot of very positive ways. So, so tell me what led to those two players landing on your team. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting, right? Because the way, and I don't know whether we'll get into this, but the way that I actually inherited the Team Liquid Academy roster was I had three players that were on contracts and two players that had already been let go. Um, so then I have, uh, and, and it's pretty public, like who they were, right? Rikara and Yasui weren't going to be renewed. Uh, Bob Jenkins, Armeo, uh, formerly known as Greg, and Pocket Rhino were all on contract. Um, so the way you start a roster is you interview the players you have currently. And then you go out and you have a look at all the free agents that exist. And uh, much like you, I was like, well, Ayla was the MB- MVP of the OPL. Uh, he was on my team. Um, I know this guy's really great. Um, and it's like at a situation where I reach out to Bill, and who's Ayla, sorry. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, good. I've got some interesting offers. I was like, do you want another one to just consider? And he's like, yep, <laughs> sure. Um, and I was like, well, this is, you know, we, we would potentially like to have you as well. And like, it was just thrown out there as like, you know, th- this could happen because like, I'm thinking this guy's going to land on Immortals because I'm hearing they don't have a support position. I'm hearing TSM is like potentially struggling to fill a support position. And like Ayla is like, for, for those that haven't watched Academy, <laughs> there's this meme like LCS ready, right? We used to do it with like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, OS players import ready. Like is Ayla LCS ready? Ayla's LCS ready. Like he's a very yeah. complete player. I think already. the way I would describe it is like, it's been a very interesting parallel of Team Liquid has tactical core JJ. Team Liquid Academy has Jan and Ayla. And Ayla has been like, doing very similar things for your team that core jj does for the last lcs team i would say he's he's been so good yeah and, and like he's just a he's a jet right so like uh, i'm i'm not expecting to get this guy right so but then uh we have another chat and i bring core jj into the chat who's a good bargaining chip and core uh <laughs> give, gives uh Ayla kind of like his rundown of philosophy of the game and like so Ayla's like hey i want to come so like bringing Ayla was always like this really nice bonus because like this guy's just genuinely in my opinion the best player from Oceania last year and for those that don't know the way the Oceanic MVP works is that the captains of the teams vote on it no one else votes on it so if you win MVP in O's that means that the captains of the eight teams think that you're the best player in the league which turns out is a pretty good metric to decide like who's actually the best player in the league right because if you ask media or shoutcasters or whatever you get some like stats thrown in and narratives thrown in like Players don't care about any of that stuff. All players care about is like how you feel to play against and like how you feel to play with. Uh, and, and so like that was Ayla. Harry was a little bit different. Harry is a little bit more raw than what Ayla is. Um, he, he was also on my team last year. And what happened with Harry is that I said I want to pick up a potential scouting grounds mid laner. Um, and I definitely knew I wanted to pick up a scouting grounds A to carry because looking at the talent pool in scouting grounds, I was like, wow, this spawn guy, really high elo with lots of account. Young guy also. Andy Bendy looks pretty good as well. And he plays some nice stuff, which I really like. So I was like, I'm definitely getting an A to carry from scouting grounds. Um, yeah, and I took scouting grounds. Yeah, pretty seriously. Like you were actually in a lot of uh, things. Like I, I was running like the uh, ocean side of scouting grounds, like pretty in depth. Um, but I was like, I think I can get a mid lane from scouting grounds as well. 
And then I had a look at a lot of the mid laners and they were really roam heavy mid laners. Captain mm -hmm. Shrimps, like really roam heavy. Yunbi, known for his rise in TF, really roam heavy. And I was looking at their individual skill and I was like, mechanically, these guys are going to struggle in lane. But do you know who will never mechanically struggle at playing League of Legends? Harry. This guy's hands are like brilliant. And so what I started doing is a lot of stats comparative and narrow, uh, like, so I would have a look at like Harry's CSD at 15 minutes and like throughout the Oceanic playoffs, this guy's plus 21 CS <laughs> at 15 minutes. And I'm looking at like damage share and I'm looking at like a whole other bunch of stats. And then like you have to do the eyeball test. Like that's your job as a coach. Like anyone can like look at stats and be like, this player's stats are better than this player's. Yeah. But then to actually eyeball and say like, but is that worth? So we're sitting there and Jat and I, and once again, we bring in Core because Core at this point is like, he's running around playing in houses with the youngins and he's really involved in the process, uh, which was great. And I made the call as the academy head coach that it is harder to teach someone to play lane at a good level than it is to teach someone macro. Um, and that I could continue to work with Harry to work on stuff like that because I already knew that he was really open to feedback. Um, and so I decided to bring Harry in. I think that was absolutely the right call. Um, once again, like a lot of people made me because I'm really proud of my players, but like the impact that Harry had on Academy coming over, I think was huge. Like this guy draws so much pressure in the mid lane. Um, so that were kind of my two Oceanic pickups. The fact that they were from my team also were an added bonus because I'm a little bit of a different coach. Like I'm 30 years old, I'm a dad. Um, I'm also pretty strict. So like having two people that already knew the culture that I was going to bring to the team, Definitely was a help. When you have 40% of people already bought into team culture, like it's very easy to swear, uh, swear the rest. Whereas when starting from scratch, it, it can be quite tough. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, with the rest of the team then, so you, you had these players, you know, Jenkins and Armeo were already uh, around and on contract and you had to, I guess, decide whether to hold on to them or whether to uh, end those contracts and find a replacement there. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure Jenkins was the one that, was, that I imagine was a little bit more uh, locked in because Team Liquid had brought him to Worlds. He had played Chinese solo queue with them. It seemed pretty clear from quite a long time ago that this was a player that the Team Liquid management wanted to uh, continue investing in. Did you still have to make a pretty hard call with him? And, and, and what was the process in, in kind of continuing to, to work with him for 2021? I mean, Jenkins was really interesting, right? Because... If you followed Academy, in the last two years, you should have seen like two shades of Jenkins. Like in 2019, the guy's an absolute psychopath that's just running around trying to solo kill everyone on Summoner's Rift, like playing like a really wide variety of champions, um, leads the leagues in like solo kills, um, and is playing like pretty good League of Legends, in my opinion. Then 2020 happens, and it's obviously a disaster for the entire team, but Jenkins in particular is playing a lot of weak side is playing some strange picks, like some Lilia top games and stuff like that. Uh, and I think like a, lot of like a lot of people would have said that he's stock drop, right? But it was quite interesting because when I became the TLA head coach, what they did is they gave me access to all the scrim VODs and the stage game VODs with audio. Mm -hmm. And this is a thing that players will never get from League of Legends, which is such a shame, right? Because... When you watch traditional sport, you don't play as an avatar, right? You get to see LeBron James walk over and pick his player up off the floor, or you get to see Russell Westbrook fighting with Bradley Beal on, Beal on court and being like, wow, look at this guy's passion. Look at how he communicates with the teammates. Like, look how his teammates re like, physically respond to him when he's on the court, and like, look at his leadership presence. Bob Jenkins doesn't necessarily have a leadership presence, but what he does have is it is impossible to be tilted around this guy. 
<laughs> like he has like this aura of like just calm and niceness and like it's going to be okay and like he can fill a lot of different shoes so i picked up on that like almost instantly and then i started specking him when he was playing like chinese solo queue and L mm -hmm. uh and korean solo queue and this guy's just like he he's only been there for like under a month and he's like challenger nearly in korea and like i know because i've boot camp teams before like that doesn't happen very often like when we boot camped and i sent fbi fbi hit challenger no one else on my team hit challenger so like it's a it's a pretty good like litmus test for like how good this guy is actually individually and i'm like so he's a nice guy and he hits challenger what happened last year so i just talked to him and i was like really what happened and he was like yeah like the a couple of things went wrong. The team atmosphere wasn't where we wanted it to be. Um, there was like a lot of misalignment on how we wanted to play the game. So like I kind of took the bullet for the team and I kind of said, you know, let's play around you guys and I'm just going to play weak side. And whilst there are some things in there that like we obviously have to work on, like being able to call for resources, confidence, like being patch resilience, a whole bunch of stuff that like you take away from that conversation. What I took away is like, unfortunately, this is like a 20 year old kid that's been put in a crappy situation and probably deserves another chance. And like looking at Greg, who I assume is the next one, now Armeo. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I honestly think he's like in the exact same situation. Like, I look at him and individually, he's a stud. He finishes top 10 on Solo Q ladder every single year. He is like very patch resistance. Like, he's like known for his Elise and his Rek'Sai. This year, we've played none of it. We've played like a lot of farming junglers. Um, and I made a meme on like kind of one of the broadcasts. They're like, Why, how do you keep winning games? And I was like, well, we just give our best players the best champions on the patch. And like, that <laughs> means that we first pick jungle every game. Um, but like, honestly, like, I think that Armeo is a superstar. And I, I, I struggle to see how he's still in Academy. Like, I'm going to be real. Like, uh, I thought like coming over that North American junglers must be incredibly weak. Uh, but that is definitely not the case. And when you have a look at how he jungles compared to some of his counterparts, like I think that this guy is also really good. So uh, I think I got a little bit lucky with the Jenkins and Armeo because like I didn't know them like 100%. Like I was 90% confident on these guys, but you have mm -hmm. to take a leap of faith. Yeah. And I think they've both turned out really well. How do you approach players like that, whether it's you know players who have had opportunities at the LCS level or players who have had time at the academy level and who haven't managed to really break through and find maybe it's maybe not find the individual success maybe it's more about not finding the team success how do you approach that when you need to kind of look past what has happened so far and say no there's still something here like at, at what point do you step back and say okay this this one's had enough chances i gotta move on and try someone else versus holding on to them and saying no we can we can keep going like what are the criteria for you yeah, I guess it's really easy because Jet and I have this really open dialogue and it's like, would you ever be interested in this player? And if the answer is like, you know, uh, if Santorin's visa didn't work out, would we have used, would we have continued to use Grig like, uh, or Armeo? Like when uh, Alfari couldn't make the lock-in tournament, were we comfortable using Bob Jenkins or did we look for another sub? And as long as the answer to those things is like, no, they're good enough for the TL main roster at a pinch, right? Mm -hmm. Then like, I think they're good enough for the academy roster. And as long as they've got all the, cause like I, the one thing that I do agree with uh, the kind of general public on is that if you've had your chance and you're no longer motivated, then you shouldn't be on a roster. But like, I can tell you these guys, uh, like I actually think they've played first and second most amount of solo queue on the team. Um, so far we, we keep track of like metrics like that. I can yeah. tell you that some of the most vocal players in reviews that they're definitely most vocal on game day as well. Uh, 
John especially, Armeo especially, is really a leadership figure on the team. The guys meme him, they call him Captain uh, Captain Armeo. Um, but like he, he really is like that kind of figure for us. So like that, that's kind of my answer to that question is like, as long as like when Jat and I talk about these players, it's like, if they're in the conversation for the next year TL squad, like, but for some reason, like we go with another superstar, like Alfari, like that's not a slouch on Bob Jenkins. Like Alfari would get a starting spot on 10 out yeah. of 10 LCS teams right now. Right. Um, then I will continue to persist with these guys if they are hungry and driven. Yeah, it is a little bit of a challenging topic, though, because, you know, motivation is a really big part of it. But I think the other way I sometimes look at it is, you know, if if a certain player has had two years of being coached at the LCS level or or even at the academy level and hasn't been able to break through, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for a player who hasn't had that type of coaching, give them one year of coaching and maybe they can exceed that and you, and you choose to invest into that as well, right? Like, how do you balance the continued investment in a in a you know a player that you know a little bit about versus you know taking a bigger risk for a potentially bigger reward yeah i think that's really interesting right because like and this is where it comes into the account of like how do how are teams actually constructed mm-hmm. and i was laughing I, I can't i maybe it was one of uh monty's podcast or Duncan's. i can't remember it was one of those two guys i watch a, i consume a lot of league of legends content but they were like G2 doesn't have the best academy team. G2 have the rest of LEC playing their academy team for them, right? <laughs> And this is kind of where, like, you have to identify, like, what kind of team you are. Yeah. And I don't think, like, we are getting better at developing grassroots talent here at Team Liquid. And it's something that we're passionate about and we'll continue to do. And we took the first step bringing me over and putting me in charge of the program. And in future, we'll look to do something like Amateur, I'm sure, if not the exact replica of Amateur. Like, we will be involved in grassroots League of Legends for high ELO players, especially younger high ELO players. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting because, like, at a certain point, this is just all gut to me. Like, and this is like kind of where I have to trust myself. And what I need to be able to do is go, okay, Bob Jenkins specifically. This is the guy that every single game has been close to solo killing his opponent. I put him on picks that are very dangerous to play, like Lulu top lane into Renekton, and say, you must have prior for the first five levels of the game. Otherwise, the game plan can't happen. So he's playing on this rager thin edge that fans are so critical of. Because, like, I'll give the example we played, uh, the TL main squad played uh, Kennen into Aurelia uh, against Immortals. And there's mm-hmm. the same razor-thin edge. Go get me priority, Alfari, in a rage versus melee matchup. Make one mistake, boom, you die. Like, you get snowballed on, game over. So we put Bob Jenkins on that same razor-thin edge. Um, and what I will say is that, so far, Bob Jenkins, in my opinion, and I would like to hear your opinion on this, is at least a top three uh, top laner in Academy at the moment. Like, I don't think that there are three people that you could say have performed better than the guy. Yeah. I, I'd i have to, like, lay out all my notes and decide I'm not going to commit myself to an opinion because I don't want to just throw it out there without having reviewed. And I actually, like, I I, I need to... So I, I do Academy standards every week, and I kind of use that to keep keep uh, touch on, on kind of where the things are. And I haven't done it yet because last week only had one game, and I'm doing a bunch of prep for amateur, and I'm actually on an amateur desk tomorrow. So I've kind of let that slip to the side a little bit. So I'm going <laughs> to be careful in my own opinions here, but he has definitely, you know, I think well, last I'll year play, as well. Sorry, I'll show you, I'll, I'll just read a couple of stats for the people out there. Right. So damage per minute, which is like a good stat 
um, in some contexts and a really bad stat, co mm -hmm. stat in other contexts. He's first in damage per minute by a mile. He's 550 damage per minute. That's nearly what 80 carries are putting in uh, yeah. this year. Goal differential at 15. He's third on that. Um, experience differential. He's like, what is he? Yeah, he's up the top there as well. Um, so like, I think like overall, this is a guy that like, and then if you have a look at how many solo kills a guy has, because like it's a really important stat, he's got six solo kills as well. So like yeah. overall, like if you just use the like no eyeball test at all on his individual play, um, but you have a look at like kind of how he's holding up stats wise, like he's certainly towards the top of the league. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like I, I, I would definitely not come in and like, even if I'm not ready to 100% commit to being top three, I definitely, definitely would not put him outside top five. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think top three is a very very reasonable thing to say especially as i kind of scan through the list of names and remind myself where i stand on them but i think also last year you know the entire tl academy year in 2020 was pretty rough and there were some you know some to some extent they had kind of the knees cut out from under the right at the start when tactical had to get promoted and that kind of took something away from now they're scrambling to figure out okay now what and it kind of they rotated a lot of roster pieces and you could see that they never really got their footing but there were definitely you know several points throughout the year when i'm like oh jenkins is kind of catching my eye and then you know quiet and the team struggling and then oh jenkins catches my eye again and he was i'd say one of the people on the team that i thought maybe there is something more there and that i wasn't i honestly wasn't very surprised that you guys decided to, to keep working with him because i could see there was there's a you know a germ of something to be uh, to be explored for sure. Uh, there is one player on your team though that we haven't talked about yet, and that is, I'd say the 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 true kind of like bring up a rookie who hasn't had a chance before. Uh, came out of scouting grounds, like you said. You ended up with Jan in the bottom lane. What kind of impression has he been making on you? Uh, honestly, like he's uh, like I, I don't play favorites, as in like uh, you know I, I love all my children equally, and I happen to have five League of Legends children and two real children. <laughs> That's um, hard though, eh? Yeah, but as, uh, as a parent, yeah. Side, young, side note: I I have four, and I don't have a favorite either. Yeah, but Young speaks <laughs> to me. Uh, I I really enjoy working. Like he is a like I I don't mean this in like a like condescending way, but he is a great kid. Like yeah. you know, I'm a little bit older than him. I get to play Big Brother slash like <laughs> loving alcohol or whatever. Um, but he at scouting grounds, like I had a look at like the. They, so for those that don't follow the scouting ground format, you play a bunch of these open scrims where the coaches get to like kind of come in and like look at all these different players. And then you get to have an interview with the players. And then they say, right, now draft your team uh, in this picking order. Uh, that's based off your LCS standings from last year. So obviously, you know, TL, we don't, we don't get a great pick. Uh, but like, so then you go out and you play a lot of these games. So... Uh, I'm watching the 80 carries and I'm like, wow, this is a really competitive role, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Shoryu, Andy Bendy, uh, sorry, not, uh, yeah, Andy Bendy, uh, Spawn, and Yon. And I'm like, yeah. wow, this, like, this role is actually like, this is damn good. Like, I, I knew who Shoryu was already. The other three, like, they, they, they're no slouches. And we get into the interviews and I'm like, this young guy's got personality. Like, he's got spunk. Like, there's, there's a little bit of like something about him, right? And then, so we take him for team motion. Uh, and just the whole time, like, uh, and Jat always, like, picks up me about this, right? Like, we have a debrief every single day after scouting grounds. And everyone's like, you know, how's Yonby going? How's NXI going? Uh, you know, how's whoever going from these other teams? And every single day, like, you know, day one, like, Yon's, like, maybe the fifth person I mentioned. 
Then day two, like he's the third person I mentioned. <laughs> and like every day after that, he's like the first person I mentioned, first person I mentioned. I'm like, we got to buy a high draft pick. Like I want this guy on my team. Like, come on guys, like get me the high draft pick. Like, because I <laughs> really want this guy on my team. And then like, we're at the point where it was like, uh, we're going to take an educated gamble because we think that Yonbi, NXI, Tomio, a whole bunch of people, like public perception wise, had like maybe like we thought that were projected to go higher in the draft is like the way I can say it. Um, and then <laughs> the draft happens and just bam, straight away, CLG take Yon. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, like sugar, like I'm in some trouble here. Uh, this guy that like I really want on my team is going to be snapped up. So uh, we took Spawn, who I also thought was really good. And if Spawn had have ended up on my team, uh, I would have been like really happy as well because he's much different personality-wise to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's very quiet, um, yeah. a little bit more reserved, um, but like mechanically is like absolutely yeah. up there as well. Um, but personality-wise, I just thought like this guy is going to really fit in with Harry and he's really going to fit in with Bill. And one of the problems I had last year, and uh, this is something that a coach has to like face, is like, I had two really good players in my bottom lane with completely conflicting personalities. Mm. And like, that was really hard. That's sometimes harder to overcome than a skill deficit, like is conflicting personalities. So um, when we finally got permission to speak to him uh, throughout that and then pick him up, I was uh, honestly like, I was really happy. Kid in the candy store. This was like my moment where I was like, my, my team is complete. Everything has fallen exactly where I wanted it. I did not have to go to option two in any role. Um, like this, this was crazy. It's really interesting when I look at, you know, you're talking about the personalities of Jan and then, and Spawn is a bit of a contrast, um, because I, I've called this out a few times as well, having spoken to Spawn and, and so on. And he has a very, very quiet personality. But when I looked at Jan and the way he played, you know, just watching, watching his gameplay, that seemed a little more, a little more laid back and reserved to me, a little bit more controlled where Spawn was a little bit more frequent to, to try for the pop-off moment and, and the outplay. That's how I saw it, which seems like a little bit of a switch of their personalities. Did did you see that at all? Like, is is Jan playing that kind of more reserved, like calculated style, or or has he been able to open up and, and be a little more aggressive? I think like so. The one thing I will say about Jan, and this is where he aligns with Ayla really well, is they just believe the game needs to be played how the game needs to be played. Like, if you play, I don't know, Aphelios into Pokes Varus, like turns out you're not going to get very many pop-off moments during laning phase because you're just going to be underneath your turret, like, covering mm -hmm. up, hoping you don't get turret dope, right? But then, like, you know, if you play something like Callista Thrash, um, you know, we played a lot of uh, Samira Rel at the start of the split. And, like, once again, like, they're able to mechanically perform on these champions to the point where if you make a mistake, they're going to solo kill you. Um, and so, like, the thing I will say about Yun is he's, like, really smart and just realistic about the game. And then he's also really realistic about his role on the team. This guy mm -hmm. came from 100 next where he's playing with Kenvi and Tenacity. Let's not pretend that they were giving any resources to the bottom side of Summoner's Rift. Exactly. So like, when people were like, he's a weak side AD carrier, I was like, no, he's not. He just played with Kenvi and Tenacity. Like, <laughs> he's not a weak side. No one likes to not have jungle resources. It's just like, when, like, and I make this joke all the time when we scrim 100 Thieves uh, Academy now. It's like, they're going to invade bottom side of the map, try and put your jungler behind so that they can get to top side first and then put your top laner behind. 
And then we like we play them on stage, and what do we do? We just camp a brush bottom side of Summoner's Rift, and we kill three of them because like <laughs> it's not like they've changed the way they've played the game in the last eighteen months, right? So I just think like uh, yeah, Yon like probably got put in a box that he didn't deserve to be put in. Uh, he definitely has some pop off plays. Uh, his Kaiser is insane. Like when we were getting Kaiser, we were just winning games. Like that that's as blanket of a statement I can make. Like I think we had a hundred percent win rate with the champion over seven games. Uh, and if you want to see uh, maybe a sneakily after scrims, uh, one day I'll like pull up the tool that I have. But he's Kaiser in scrims. It's also got a very good uh, win rate as well. So, uh, no, this was a guy that I think can definitely be that pop-off player. Yeah, you, you hear that more often about uh, about top laners getting put in that box, right? Like, uh, you know, Impact yep. being the famous LCS level example. It's a little different to hear about a bot laner, but it can certainly, uh, you know, happen there as well. Uh so you've got this whole group together and uh, you know academy is always unpredictable uh i know i i made some kind of pre-split predictions on how i thought things might pan out and you know there's still time for it to end by proving grounds that they'll maybe look a little different yeah Yeah. uh completely (laughs) off and you know i knew that a little bit going in that this is going to be like compared i have a lot less confident in my academy projections than i would in my lcs projections Mm -hmm. i still feel pretty good about my lcs ones and academy is like well i got that wrong you guys came out of the, stormed out of the gate. You're tied for first. Did you have that kind of expectation of, of how these guys would click and, and how they'd be able to to play in the first round, Robin? Yeah, absolutely. I sat my guys down and I looked at them all in the eyes and I said, our goal is to make LCS. And the easiest way to do that is to win this damn thing. Like every single player in this year, uh, on this team this year, except for Young, uh, who like I would say, you know, can have another year as well. Their goal this year should be to make LCS. Bill's already been an MVP. He's played like two years in Oceania before this. Like, so we don't consider him a rookie. Um, and he's made finals every single time he's played in the OPL. So there's no reason this guy's not going to like, you know, go up. Um, Harry, I think like in the exact same boat. And then you have Bob Jenkins and Armeo who've been a part of the system for a long time. And I said like, w- like time's running out guys. Like, you know, you're old men now. You're, you're in your dreaded 20s of the esports players world. Like, you, you got to be able to, like, make that jump. So, like, and then I watched a scrim the first time we ever scrimmed. Um, I don't normally share a lot of scrim stuff. So, but funny story, what happened was Riot told the main team a little bit later that, hey, uh, we need you guys for a photo shoot. Um, so we're, we're supposed to be uh, scrimming uh, the main team because at this point we're just one big squad because Alfari and Santorin are still overseas. Right. Uh and we're scrimming against an LCS team, and we say after game two, "Hey, like we gotta, like we we gotta go, man." Um, but what we will do because we don't want to like ruin your whole day is we're gonna put our academy players in with Bob Jenkins and Armeo, um, and they're gonna complete out the scrim for you. And the game guys flew onto Summoner's Rift like you would not believe, and it was like bang, 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 and I was just like, "Ooh, like okay." Like, this is the kind of team we got now. Like, yeah. it's like, this is a team where, like, individually, I had no question. But, like, there's no ego gameplay. Uh, they, like, we, 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 we call it, we play for the Kings. Um, and we, like, have the Kings in, like, whatever comp we have. And we play for those yeah. pieces. And, like, uh, anyone is willing to, like, sacrifice anything. And I was, like, straight away, as soon as I played that scrim set, I was, like, all right, I'm going to have, like, a really hard time as a coach this split. Because this is going to be, like, Managing challenges is something a lot of people can do. Like one of the easiest things as a manager is to come in and be like, I have a dysfunctional bottom lane. 
I need to spend a lot of time with my bottom lane this week and like that's going to be the goal of the week. When everything's working, your job becomes really, really hard because <laughs> you're like, how do I keep this on chat track? But how do I continue to challenge these guys and set the like continue to push the floor up, but to the point where they're not constantly fa uh, experiencing failure and therefore like losing confidence as opposed right. to getting confidence. Um, and I was like, that's what this year is going to be all about. How do I continue to raise the floor of these guys? Um, and hopefully I'm doing an okay job of that. Yeah, seems like it's going pretty well so far. I think the that opportunity to kind of to mesh with some of the LCS roster, and especially, you know, hearing how involved Core JJ was as you were putting things together, it, it makes it pretty interesting for me um, also looking at the in-houses that, that he was leading a lot. He had a mm -hmm. lot of games playing with Jan, um, do you how much of an influence do you think that has i mean specifically for a bot lane pairing i guess for for having a player like him around to whether he's you know just giving advice from a more of a background role or whether he's playing directly with the guy you know do a queuing playing in houses with him how how much does that accelerate a player's growth insane like it, it's like so valuable like there is absolutely no other way to say it like uh and the one thing i will say is when i took this job i said to chat that you know this needs to be a squad like, this can't be your team and my team. And we get together every morning and we talk about how your team's going and how my team's going. <laughs> it needs to be like, when we create resources, they're shared resources. Um, when you guys have a read on something, we need to have a similar read. Um, when we scrim each other, we need to be able to give each other scenarios. It's not like only we're playing for the LCS team. Um, you know, when your bottom lane needs 2v2 practice, we'll give it to them. But when my bottom lane needs 2v2 practice, we expect that to be reciprocated. Same with top lane, same with mid lane, all the way down. And the one thing I will say is that that jump is so much easier when you have someone like Core JJ who is completely bought into the culture. Core JJ sat me down at the start of the season and he said, "Welcome on board." I said, "Thank you very much." And like, this is a world champion. Like, I'm a little bit like flustered at this stage. <laughs> and he's like, I "I'm really excited to work with you." Like already because I was a, I was pretty involved with these in-houses. I would coach every now and again. Um, he was like, "I've already learned like some stuff from you. Like, I think you're going to be a really great fit." And I was like fantastic like i can't wait either and he's like and like i truly believe that if anyone on the academy team is better than the people on the main team you know all of us should be aware that like they're coming for our job and he's like and that includes ayla and i was like wow this guy's like he's like super like in, like he's breathing like what i want this all to be and then just make that comment but then to still duo queue with like a competitive counterpart yeah, and still like coach and train like you just have to understand like what kind of like beast this guy is like he's pushing himself forward by training his replacement like yeah. that's like that's craziness to me like and, like find someone else that is willing to do that but that's really what core jj is all about yeah. and uh i think that he is like he's built diff definitely but it's like sure the training helps like to a certain level and he's like making young mechanically better because he's like did you see this angle like why did you not go in at this point are oh, this one you stepped up and you took free damage but it's like culturally it's like when core jj is asking yeah. you to do a more or when core jj is saying hey yon why aren't you in in-houses tonight because like i want you on my team culturally that speaks to something completely different and i think his cultural impact is like a 10 out of 10. Yeah, and it's a really interesting thing with, with the presence of academy teams and the idea of, you know, the academy player trying to take the LCS player's job that I think we, we have definitely seen plenty of times where you can imagine maybe from the outside 
that the LCS player is going to try to protect their job, right? They're they're not going to share information. They're not going to help the academy player get better. They're maybe going to actively, you know, if they play in-houses, they're going to try to make them look a little worse because they got to, you know, and you understand why, self-interest, you want to hold on to your job. And having people who can see it from a more holistic perspective, and and maybe it's just, maybe confidence comes a lot into it. Like, yeah, this guy, I'm going to help this guy get better because I'm so good that I can afford to, and I'm still going to hold on to my job. Not everybody's going to be able to feel that way. I don't know. There's there's a lot of complex psychology to it, but that's something that as an org, if you can find those players, that's just going to be so massive and so valuable. And I think it's been really good. I mean, just the existence of those in-houses in general, the structure of them and getting other people in the league to buy into them, that's valuable for all of NA for sure. Uh, so that, that's been something to, to celebrate with, with Core JJ, definitely. Uh, so I'd love to just spend a little bit of time now, go through a few questions that we had from, from people who, uh, who are listeners, listeners of the show. Uh, these were submitted on patreon.com slash Oracle's Elixir. I post, post the guests in advance. You can, uh, can submit your questions from them there. Uh, and so we have a, we have a question from, uh, I am not the NSA who wants to know uh, about the influx of Oceanic players, uh, and specifically, you know, how much merit do you think there was to the just the number of signings, the volume of Oceanic players who came in? Um, and, and how much do you think that might have just been maybe an, an overreaction, uh, a knee-jerk response to the whole residency status change, um, you know, with teams seeing the success of FBI and then King and Lost coming up behind them and, and trying to kind of capture that for themselves? Yeah, okay, so, like, let's call it what it is. Like, it was a knee-jerk reaction to the success that other Oceanic players had had. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't the right thing to do, right? It was like, you know, there had been a wave of successful imports. So, like, let's continue to explore this avenue of bringing up new talent. And I think that they got the right players. Like, there's no one that got imported where I'm like, ooh, he was a dud in OPL. Like, <laughs> did they even watch any of the games? This guy sucked. Um, so, like, I do think that, like, uh, whilst it is a knee-jerk reaction, I think that that's not necessarily bad. Like, the, there's a reason that the body has these uh, reflexes in the first place, right? It's self-protection. And I think what happened with uh, a lot of the North American talk, it was like, okay, one thing that we, it is implied that we lack is like raw talent. So how do we get an injection of raw talent? And that doesn't just mean into academy. And I think that you raised a really relevant point. Like, how does solo queue feel now that there's 25, like, good players running around, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Grandmaster to Challenger level. I hope they're all Challenger, but um, I'll throw my net a little bit wider for the sake of it. Like, <laughs> at a minimum, they should all be Grandmaster, right? So, like, how does it feel? Like, it's Solo Q now that there's 25 new Grandmaster Just to Challenger more, players yeah. running around. Like, I'm sure Solo Q feels better. Like, that, that would be, like, my gut feel. Um, So, like, I think that this can only be positive for the North American server. Yeah, so you feel it was around the correct kind of number of players that deserve to come over. Do you think it could have been a little higher, maybe? Uh, I think, like, maybe there's, like, one or two people that, like, could have been included. But, like, then also they play very similar roles. So, like, maybe, like, there's one or two players that wouldn't have been included if that was the case, right? Um, so, uh, and I think also a couple of Oceanic players kind of shot themselves in the foot. Uh, I'll give one example because, like, it's pretty close to home. My jungler, his name was Only. Uh, he was like, this is my, like, he joins my team. He's like, this is my last chance, man. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to make worlds this year or I'm going to retire. Like, it, it's all in, like, play or bust. And we obviously didn't make world, so he retires. And now uh, everyone gets picked up to go to uh, North America. And now he's unretired playing in LCO. And I'm like, mm -hmm. why did you announce retirement? <laughs> um, yeah. But like, yeah, so that's an example of a player that I think like, you know, maybe uh, didn't manage his offseason. 
the best. Uh, but like, yeah, I think that overall, like the number was probably the right number. The the existence of the LCO that you mentioned, uh, and I, I meant to bring it up earlier, actually, is I think an interesting follow on to this question of, you know, with the players left behind, I, you, know, you know, you mentioned a, a year ago, when kind of that that first wave of Oceanic players came in, it kind of skimmed the top off the OPL. Uh, and now we've had a further skimming, a secondary skim. And, mm-hmm. and the OPL, you know, was has been resurrected in this different form. How do you feel about about that league and, and its ability to kind of, I guess, recover or continue on? Um, and, and how is it going to do? Yeah, I mean, Papa would be able to speak to this as well. Australians, New Zealanders, we're hella resilient, man. We're stuck on an island, like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we don't know how we got there. Um, but like we have so many things that are like going against us. But the one thing that we always will have, and this is like for every sport, is we are just so damn competitive. I like say to my team sometimes, like, guys, am I like too competitive? Like, do I just want to win too much? Like, uh, like is the intensity that I want to feel from you guys like unrealistic? Because like I think Australians in general, and like I always use cricket as an analogy, right? We are one of the best cricketing nations in the world. And for a lot of people, that doesn't mean anything. But do you know who else are the big cricketing nations? India, Sri Lanka, like places where like population is just like so much like bigger than our population. Um, But we're able to go toe to toe. And that's just because like we have really, really good sports culture in Australia. Like everything is about sport. Like, you know, I I always tell this story. Uh, I was in Perth one time with my partner and we're out for a really nice dinner in like this beautiful like uh, restaurant. You know, you're paying like a hundred bucks for a steak there. And then a projector screen comes down the side of the wall and the football game comes on. (laughs) And we're like, what is this? Like, and it's the WH Derby. And Papa's from WA, so he'll be able to tell you. But when Fremantle plays against uh, the Eagles, like everyone watches. And they're like, well, if we didn't put it on, no one would come out to dinner. Like that's the kind of, <laughs> that's the kind of culture that you have in Australia. So like we'll bounce back like 100%. Like it will take a couple of years. Like I say this all the time, like be a good supporter, support and be patient. Support the guys that are here and be patient with them, but also support the guys back home and be patient with them as well. Get involved with the LCO, like still watch it, still tune in, still consume the content because that's what you need for the league to survive. And then the teams have done the right thing. Everyone in LCO is like 18, 19 years old at the moment. By the time they're like 20, 21, like there will be a couple of players that will be ready to come over. Yeah, we definitely wish the league, you know, luck. It was, it was pretty sad to see things get shut down and, and be uncertain, but it's glad, uh, I'm glad to see that there's, you know, some, some forward momentum again. Uh, Magical Kaz wants to know, uh, what do you think could be done uh, structurally the way the academy s- uh, season has been set up this year uh, for the, the top six teams that perform and then have this giant break? What is a, what is a bit of a shift that you think could, could be done to, to handle? Or do you see that break as an issue? Uh, yeah, I see it as an issue. Um, but I don't see it as an issue in the same way that a couple of the other teams see it. Um, so I had an alternative solution. Um, so the way it currently works, for those that don't know, top six teams from Academy ought to qualify for Proving Grounds and have a five-week break. Uh, eighth, 7th, 8th uh, go into the first tournament where top four will go through. And then 8th, ninth, 10th uh, ninth, go through to the second tournament. Then there's a the last chance tournament, right? Uh, I actually like that format for the bottom four teams. It gives them a lot of reps. And I think that that's something that a bottom four team probably needs. My idea that... I was pretty hot on is just remove the bottom four from the league and then can play one more final round robin where the games count towards seeding. Okay. Um, and then, you know, 
there's six teams left, so there's five weeks of games, like in a theoretical world or something like that. Um, so then that's what you do. Um, and I just want one or two games a week for my guys um, because I think that a lot of the top teams um, would use their academy team slightly different from the bottom teams. Um, we use it a lot for LCS practice, like being able to get specific comps, uh, things like that. So uh, I don't want too many games because I need my team to be able to do that. And I also think the game quality is quite good at the moment when we do that and they learn a lot. Um, but no competition is bad because it stagnates you. So I, I want the happy medium grow. Yeah, I think things can definitely go too far in either direction, right? You can have uh, too much scrim time and not enough stage time, and then you don't get to actually test yourself and confirm the direction you're going. And you can also have, you know, far too many games and too few scrims. And there's been a lot of other content going out about that. Uh, I know uh, uh, Kelsey Moser was sharing some opinions on that, I think, on Hotline League and other things about how when you have so many games every week, like the amateur teams are having, uh, and so little time to actually scrim and work on underlying concepts and foundations, I think that, that can cause issues too. So something in the middle, uh, like in anything, a middle ground is, is generally the best approach. I think, I think to a similar extent, the LCS is having that issue right now, right? Because they play best of ones, but they play three days a week. So like right. there's three days a week where you can't scrim in a theoretical world. Um, you know, some teams are now scrimming on those days as well. Um, but like, yeah, the thing about League of Legends is like, I know people are like, but in traditional sports, they just do like, you know, training X amounts of days and stuff. It's like, yeah, but in NBA, like they didn't nerf point guards last patch to not run as quickly. <laughs> like, so like, it, it's like, it's a really different scenario where you have to be yeah. constantly learning the game. Um, so a lot of the training philosophies don't necessarily carry over. Some of them do, and we don't use enough of them, I think. But uh, yeah, I think that the LCS is potentially in the situation right now where three game days could potentially hurt like growth in a sense that like, there, there isn't as many scrim days and equal balance of off days as they used to be. Yeah, definitely. And I think with those three separate days, it's not just about the loss of the day, but also the fact that you have to prep for three different teams. And that, that involves different game plans and you know the way you think about it and that that, it, that messes with your week as well. So, uh, Papa Smithy wants to know how big you think the gap is between the top three teams in Academy and the bottom four of the LCS. There's no gap. Just that, like, just that non-existent. Thing. Like, honestly, like, uh, people are going to take this as playing, but like, I don't know. You put Hundred Thieves Academy, or you put T uh, Nine Academy, or you put uh, TL Academy in the LCS. <laughs> We're not finishing last, dude. <laughs> like, there's just no way. Like, uh, there is just absolutely no way we're finishing last in this year's LCS. All right, fair enough. That's com that's confidence, and I like to hear that. And I also think you're probably right. Uh, I think the the interesting question is: Does that mean one of those teams would finish ninth or seventh, or you know what that's going to be? And I think that that can be hard to say because there's, there's also going to be disagreement right now. Yeah, there would there would be disagreement, but like right now, I think <laughs> that if you do LCS, uh, you you kind of tier rank up the teams, right? And like I think it's really fair to like throw Cloud Nine up there. Um, they're really great. Uh, TL just beat them, so they got to go up there again. But like people were probably on the verge of demoting TL, like down a tier, right? I'm very in tune with what people say because like I'm one of those people that I'll consume whatever people say about me. And right now, uh, a lot of that is directed about TL stuff. Well, uh, and, and you're on the LCS team. analyst desk too, right? So you're yeah. motivated to cool. be up on and off. Um, so yeah, so like I would say those three teams are like on the if you wanted to tier it as S tier or A tier, whatever your top tier is, right? Depending on your tiering system. And then you have teams like EG, 
people are starting to talk about Dignitas with their winner over TSM being in this mm -hmm. tier, but I'm not so sure. Uh -oh. um, TSM. <laughs> I thought they um, were contenders, man. Yeah. I mean, it depends how you group a contender. This is what I found out about <laughs> North Americans. Like, if you're not going to win, they, they mean the championship team is the only contender in the league. Um, so, like, you know, it's like Dignitas, TSM, EG. And so that's like top six, right? The academy teams would beat everyone. Hmm. There you go. Hot take for you, too. Yeah, no, it's such a, I think like FlyQuest is an interesting one where you go, nah. okay, they roll. should be better than this, right? <laughs> you go, nah, ah. we, we, would, we would roll. Yeah, no, actually, so. that's not true. Palafox is actually really good. Licorice is really good. And obviously, Jose Diodo is great. I think that team has like synergistic issues at the moment. I think it would be more fair to put uh, like FlyQuest in the above bracket and redrop. Like, if you wanted to, my, like, because you have, there's a difference between power rankings, which is like current form. And like overall where you think the teams are going to end at the end of the season. Right. I think it's very realistic to say Dignitas will not be there at the end of the season, but FlyQuest yeah. will be. And that's one of the challenges when you use the term power rankings is people, it's supposed to be current form, but it's an easy framework to discuss like projections and stuff. Projection, so yeah. You end up using the term for, I, I end up using the term for multiple different things, but it is mm -hmm. what it is. Uh, let's wrap this off with one more from Edward Green. Uh, going a little bit further back in your history, what's your favorite international game you've casted? And he says, why is it Cloud9 versus Vitality at 2018 Worlds? <laughs> uh, what is my favorite? I think, like, I casted the TLIG upset. Like, that's got to be up there, okay. doesn't it? Yeah, that's exciting. And by casted, fun. I mean what happened was I was on the... Uh, I was the LPL guy on the uh, casting desk with two North American guys. <laughs> and then IG started losing. So I just stepped backwards off the desk like this. And the North American guys started going wild. Um, and that, that was fun. Um, at, honestly, like I'm one of those weird casters where like until you show me the game, I'm like, wait, I really casted that? Like I casted that weird base race? Like, um, but my favorite casting memory ever is uh, MSI 2015, I want to say. Uh, no, 2016 in uh, in China. One of the first days, it's me and Kobe on the analyst desk, and it's the CLG roster that's like got the North American flag all over their thing and the Canada flag, depending on where their players are from. And they're like, they're really bought into like they're they're like they're like they're pulling in the Homer fans, right? And like it's who he playing Aurelian Soul and this kind of stuff. But it was like also really good RNG with Mata and Uzi and. It was Kobe and I on the analyst desk, and we're just sitting there, and this crowd is pumping. And Kobe and I are just screaming our heads off, like RNG versus CLG. And uh, that was actually the MSI where, like, for those who don't remember, there's a big Stixie play where he turns around on Callista and just kills everyone from a 10,000 gold deficit. Uh, watching games with passionate people is actually, like, one of my favorite things. And Kobe and I are, like, just linked in some way in that regard whenever there's a really good game going on we'll find each other and like the in the end the producers were like hey guys like we need you to calm down because you're going to blow your voices out and you're not going to be able to cast the rest of the event um but that event was like uh the event that i'll never forget yeah that was that was definitely exciting for sure well thank you very much for joining us on the show today spawn what is the best way for people to, to follow you and your work uh Honestly, like at the moment, I hang out in Reddit a lot. So, like, if you're a fan, like, hop over on the TL Reddit. I try and engage uh, over there as much as possible. Um, then for socials, like at SpawnLong is my Twitter. Uh, Spawn the Caster is my Instagram that I use very poorly. But if you want to see photos of me and my weird stages of facial hair, uh, go check that out too. Great. 
You can support the True Sight podcast at patreon.com slash elixir, and you can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, as well as anchor.fm slash truesite. And make sure you check out the Oracle's Elixir Discord server to talk about League of Legends, esports, data science, and recently a lot of other topics. Links for all of those will be in the show notes. This has been the True Sight podcast with Jake Spawn Tiberi, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thanks for listening.